0: You're listening to Make and Multiply, and this is one of our Hear and Obey episodes where we are talking through the passage of Scripture that was just preached on Sunday. Uh, My name is Ryan Chase. I'm one of the pastors at Emmaus Road, joined today by Matt Groon and Mark Christensen, and we are in Exodus 12. We're also recording on our old uh, standalone microphone here, so if it sounds a little... Echoey, could be a lot of things. Tinny, original, original, yeah, yeah. I um, think
1: it's also if nothing makes sense, it's because of the microphone. We I can mean, blame it all on so right <laughs> yeah, the mic right now. Yeah,
0: the sound. We just know the sound quality is down. Uh, we're also recording at the chapel while a middle school chapel class is <laughs> making noise in there. So if you hear singing, that's um, it's Mark. It's
2: a joyful noise. <laughs> it's, a, it's, just, it's a joyful noise to the Lord.
0: <laughs> so. Uh, a couple of obstacles, but we are pressing on anyway. And um, I'm looking forward just to talking through this passage, which Matt, you preached. Mm-hmm. Uh, as we've said before, it's, it's always different when you're coming into a, a text that y- you spent a lot of time in already. Always good to, to get um, input from others as well and, and hear what, what others see and, and get out of it. So let me read Exodus 12:14 through 28. This is God's word. This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations as a statute forever, you shall keep it as a feast. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven out of your houses, for if anyone eats what is leavened from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day you shall hold a holy assembly, and on the seventh day a holy assembly." No work shall be done on those days, but what everyone needs to eat, that alone may be prepared by you. And you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread, for on this very day I brought your hosts out of the land of Egypt. Therefore you shall observe this day throughout your generations as a statute forever. In the first month, from the fourteenth day of the month at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the twenty-first day of the month at evening. For seven days no leaven is to be found in your houses. If anyone eats what is leavened, that person will be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he is a sojourner or a native of the land. You shall eat nothing leavened. In all your dwelling places you shall eat unleavened bread. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves, according to your clans, and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin, and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning, for the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. You shall observe this right as a statute for you and for your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as he has promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshiped. Then the people of Israel went and did so as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron. So they did. Father, we do thank you for your word. Thank you that it's living and active, powerful and dynamic, um, that you have given us your word, which is capable of teaching us and instructing us and also correcting and rebuking us and encouraging and comforting. And so we just pray for the the full effect of of this word, uh, a, a word that can feel distant or irrelevant to us because it's about assemblies and festivals that we don't directly participate in anymore and events that happened so long ago and yet god we know that all of these things recorded in scripture have been preserved for our instruction and edification and so uh, we just we pray that you'd be active among us as we talk about and seek to apply this text and be both hearers and doers of the word in jesus name amen amen all right. Exodus 12 observations. I'd like to start with, what do you notice? What, what stands out on this rereading of the text?
1: Oh man. Yeah. Well, I observed a lot of things. Uh, I think we were talking a little bit before. It's one of the trickier things about this particular unit is that it's it really is seated in a, a little bit larger unit. Um, <clears throat> what sets Exodus 12 1 through uh, 28 apart, particularly, is the interruption it makes to the flow of the plague narrative.
0: Yeah, because we haven't hit the 10th
1: plague. You pointed this out yesterday. Right.
0: That comes in verse 29. So we right. haven't even gotten mm-hmm. to the 10th plague yet.
1: Exactly. So, something like, if, if we. I know we flew through the plagues, Greg did them all in one, but if, if you were to take the time, it's you know, providentially this past week, I'm in this section in my Bible reading mm-hmm. plan. So it really it picked, I, I picked it up as I read through that if you follow the plagues, they, they follow a very kind of predictable rhythm. You, I mean, you do nine of them. You, you find a, a rhythm is of, of phrases repeated, um, questions repeated where Moses and Aaron go before Pharaoh. They ask me to let these people go so that they might go worship the Lord. Pharaoh says, no. The plague comes, Pharaoh demands relief. Pharaoh and Moses are Aaron and Moses give it to him, they pray, and then he's hardened and it all kind of starts up again. Rinse and repeat. Exactly. And it does that for nine cycles, and then all of a sudden you get this break. You get this total shift. Something we haven't seen since verse or since chapter six. This discourse from God to it's almost like a timeout. Like you you're pulled aside and then you're pulled into mm. the conversation. Um and so anytime, you know, this is true for all of our Bible reading, anytime we find something that's out of rhythm, um, typically in a narrative passage, it's the author trying to clue us in, to slow mm-hmm. us down, to focus us in that this is critical. This is the yeah. point. Yeah.
2: I think we've said before on this podcast, it's the same with the genealogy. Yeah. It's not just randomly there, but there's a connection why the author dove in right there yeah. and
0: then. Yeah. Yeah, That's good, and you know, one of the things that strikes me in reading this right now all this talk about their future mm-hmm. you know, it's saying that this is what you are to do not just this night, but in the future. This is going to be an annual assembly, an annual feast of unleavened bread, uh, something that they are to do again and again. And so, just the fact that you know, put yourself in the shoes of Hebrew slaves who have been enslaved for four hundred and thirty years now yeah um, it, I think Greg made this point a couple weeks ago that they're not used to thinking about the future tomorrow, <laughs> yeah. the, the future you don't make plans you don't have you know upcoming family vacations mm-hmm. so, so you don't have a future mm-hmm. um, apart from what your taskmasters say and so suddenly for God to be speaking about here's what you're going to do annually mm-hmm. year after year after year for generations to come is already the you know God just it's a foregone right. conclusion I'm bringing you out this is over yeah. I, I am going to redeem you and for God to say it and promise it, it it's as good as, as done that that strikes me here there's this future looking aspect to this not just the events that are about to happen this night but annually now
2: yeah yeah. And there's a future looking so that they would look back and remember mm-hmm, mm-hmm. what God had did how he had acted so mm-hmm. um, it's not forgetting you know the past as you go forward from this place in Egypt
1: yeah and, and it's like you said, there's both a, a long term remembrance, but also these are promises that are going to be like there's an immediacy to it. Like we in Exodus 12, it hasn't happened yet. Like you said, like this, this is actually Exodus 12, 1 through 28 is a disc, two discourses, one between God speaking to, to Moses and Aaron to kind of like spell out. The Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and what what this is to what this is to be, and then twenty one through twenty eight through the end is Moses and Aaron delivering that to the or Moses delivering that to the elders, um, which I think helps me as I read through it. Um, I think I, I ended, I hinted at this at the end of like this is what we do on Sundays. This mm. is what the role of the pastor is in a lot of ways is just to take what the Lord has said in His Word mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and to apply. Because notice He doesn't just word for word repeat what what happens Um, it's only in Moses's discourse that he says when your children ask you point them to this he's taking the the Word of God objective from God taking it and applying it to their immediate into their immediate lives no deviation no like well God said this but what he really meant was this Mm. there's no questioning what God said it's just delivering the message and applying it to the lives of Mm. the people
2: yeah I've heard someone explain it before as like the preacher, in this case, Moses, like a prism um, where the light is shining through the preacher, shining through Moses. You get this array of color that comes out. So yeah. it's not anything different than what went in to the prism, yeah. but it's, it has the effect. it gives um, color to what people hear then.
1: Yeah. And it's, and it's just when you actually dive into the content of the two discourses, I mean, it's just such utter grace from God that He would—I mean, he, he. This is akin to when Moses or when the Lord dropped into Noah and says, "Here's what I'm going to do, and here's how you can be saved. <laughs> here, here is the way out." And there, and even in the details, the, spe- the specificity by which to build the ark, the specificity by which to carry out these two statutes. Um, it it just—God is just so gracious in His actions towards His people. Um, and they still had to respond. They, that's why this is given before the plague, in preparation for it. Because then immediately, ver, or if you're, you know, if you got headings in your Bible, verse twenty nine, this the next verse after the one that we ended on on Sunday is the tenth plague. The, the is, angel of death yeah. comes. He, God makes good on His word. Um, and if He, that's why I think was is critical. Is, is this is a, a lesson in hearing God. Trusting him, remembering his promises, and learn the Israelites are learning that he keeps his word. He, he when he says stuff, it's going to happen, mm-hmm. um, and he's made promises to them that are just unbelievable. Yeah, but I will save you.
0: I, I thought um, if this stands out to me again today, reading it, j- just the fact that God gave his people a feast mm-hmm. and assemblies, it, you know, struck me. Oh, this is not just the Passover. Meal. Now they're talking about the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Right. Um, and two solemn assemblies that happen at the beginning and the end of a week. So it's a week long thing. Yeah. If you think about that. Probably the closest we
1: get to that is Christmas. I mean, you know, there's a lot of buildup. Yeah, so Easter, maybe like the Passion Week. Like we start with. Yeah. I don't, yeah, not even. Yeah. I mean, but just that idea that the holiday is a week long. Mm.
0: And it's recognized and it's marked at the beginning and the end. By this assembly, and then the whole week, their entire diet it changes based mm-hmm. on
2: you know eating
0: unleavened bread.
2: Shows like a totality of remembrance.
0: Yeah, it's it's a big deal. I mean, that would that would stand out a, a whole week in yeah. your calendar, uh, and, and then just the fact that God gave such tangible, practical—you you talked about this—something some, uh, you partake of. You yeah. you eat this meal, so you're participating in it. It's not just a day marked on the calendar but something that you're involved in recognizing and and all of that aimed at remembering so it's not random details about what they're supposed to eat or what they're supposed to do it's all rooted in because of what they're going to do on this night and that's still coming up in in chapter 12 they they leave in a hurry there's no time to put leaven in their bread those things so they're they're forced out of egypt so they're rehearsing you know, it's it's a, it's a rehearsal. This is what happened in the past, yeah. which just engages all of your senses. Uh, you're participating in this thing. And, and all of that aimed at not forgetting what God has done. Mm-hmm. And I think, Matt, when you made that point yesterday, just about how prone we are to forget, um, that hit home for me, just knowing... You know, we sing that song, um, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone yes. to leave the God I love. Our own thoughts and affections can wax and wane mm-hmm. um, sometimes it seems more clear and vivid to us and other times it seems more dull but realizing we have some responsibility for what we're thinking about yeah. what we're rehearsing what we're meditating on what we're calling to mind and intentionally remembering mm-hmm. and so here we see God means for his people to never forget things that he's done in the past his past faithfulness to us That that that's powerful
2: yeah. Matt you had said that the best remedy to forgetfulness is community, as we see here with the assemblies at the beginning and the end of the week. Why do you think that is, and how have we experienced that to be true? Yeah, well, I think,
1: yeah, it just, it's hard to draw that out in a text, because just recognizing that this is a statute not to you as an individual, this is to be done as a new nation. So so what's happening in the, sorry, go ahead.
0: Which, well, a holiday marks that, like, right. It's not just hey everybody. At some point this year, make sure you take a day. You take on your own. Yeah, yeah, you take a a person. Take a personal day. Spend some time. Like no, when you put something on the calendar, it means everybody's going to observe at the same time. So you know, December twenty-five. Christmas is December 25th. Yeah. You know, we have days of the year that are marked out and everybody, it's that day for everyone. So just in that nature, yeah. there's a corporate
1: sense to this. Right, so this is given to a body. This is given to a people. Um, but I think the point is true, and I think I said this yesterday, it, it was to be obeyed individually, right? There's a sense in which just, you know, one person doesn't just take it for the whole nation. Like the whole, everybody was in on this, mm. but to be enjoyed corporately. there We're all in this together. Um, and Ryan, what you were saying about the the point being, other than this first one, like this first one had an efficaciousness to it. Like this was really saving their life. The the obedience to the command, there really was an imminent threat, and they really from God, and God had given. But after that, the the years after, the doing of the Passover feast and the unleavened bread wasn't actually efficacious anymore. But was which you know we're also prone to do. Like, well, I just come to church on Sundays because. You know that's just what I do mm-hmm. in, in thinking that I'm safe because of that. There's a there's a, a security in that, um, but to do that is to forget the actual origin, to forget the the, the starting point, which is the salvation of God's mm-hmm. people. Um, so in the future, you know, the future generations, if they were just this is why I think Moses says, oh, by the way, when your children ask you, you tell them exactly why, like because. How often have any of us, you know, those of us who've grown up in Christian homes, asked our parents, why do we have to go to church today? Like, why can't we just, you know, these people always sleep in. Gratefully, you know, my parents are, I love them to death. And they've been faithful to me and explained to me why. But how many people say, well, this is just what we do? You know, mm-hmm. this is just how it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is to forget, to, to try to keep enjoying, if you can call it that, the gift and deny the giver. Um, and God institutes these. Here, he's forcing his people to remember. He, you will have this as a remembrance forever. And for us, you know, think of the rhythms that we, you know, just simply just in our gathering every Sunday. Um, what we, how we approach that day says what we think about it in a, in a lot of ways. And how we approach it and where does it rain in the calendar? <laughs> you know, what, how, how easily is it dislodged? Um, and then from there, you could, you know, there are other rhythms like what well, we did, kind of our habits of grace, you, your Bible reading and, and, and prayer, and and then one of those being community, um, because if I'm left on my own island to just remember, I'm I'm a very easily distracted mm-hmm. idiot. So, but you put yourself <laughs> in community with other people who are doing this with you, there's just a striving together, a a, a cohesion. I, I think. I think that's a critical reason why God instituted feasts. He instituted things that must be shared. He instituted things that must be... You have to get around a table and eat this. Yeah, mm-hmm. and you, you can't have a feast by yourself. Right, you, well, no. You, you pig out by yourself, but it's, it's not yeah. a feast. <laughs> <laughs> right, that's what's so interesting. Celebratory. not celebratory. The, the Passover is just so interesting in that it's the only part of the entire Levitical system that is a sacrifice and meal in one. It's the only time where the sacrifice turns into the meal and it, i read a commentary I forget who it was that said and i think i included it it the the one to whom the sacrifice is being made all of a sudden immediately becomes the host of a great feast mm. with the main course being the sacrifice mm-hmm. the one that you actually and when when you take all that typology and move it into the fulfillment of christ it just takes on all that Imagery of what do we partake of? Yeah, who died in our place? Christ did. And who did he satisfy? Whose wrath is that? The Father. Well, all of a sudden, the Father now has become the host of a great banquet for us. At table. And what do we eat of? We eat of Christ and of his bread, the bread of life that always satisfies and And he is the word that we feast on. And so all that imagery just We embody like, that truth. Oh, man. It, yeah. it spins quickly. Yeah, that's so good. Incredible how. Um,
0: yeah, how that's fulfilled in Christ. It's just helpful to be reminded how prone to forget mm. we are, um, and how necessary it is that you know God has has built in for us these these reminders in Second um, Kings twenty three in the days of Josiah. So I don't know off the top of my head how many hundreds of years downstream we are from David, but a couple couple hundred Josiah Uh, yeah um, it it says the king commanded all the people keep the Passover to the Lord your God as it is written in the book of the covenant for no such Passover had been kept since the days of the judges who Hmm. judged Israel or during all the days of the kings of Israel or of the kings of Judah Hmm. but in the 18th year of King Josiah the Passover was kept to the Lord in Jerusalem no wonder they had problems. <laughs> yeah. no, no wonder they struggled with covenant unfaithfulness. Yes. Um, and not, obviously, the root of the issue is in their heart, but it's reflected in, they had neglected this gift from God. Yeah. And, and I think there's a tendency to read the Old Testament and think, oh, wow, God is really strict and burdensome and laying all of these obligations on people. And what is he doing that for? When, if you just, just consider, like, the command is feast for a week. <laughs> <laughs> like that's a it's a celebration of mm. God's deliverance. It's not a, a burdensome heavy thing. It's right. a it's a it's a party because God has delivered you. And and just knowing that the Israelites neglected that from the days of the judges until Josiah, they had not observed the Passover corporately.
1: Well, and that right there that's is a big what, deal. Three, four hundred years. Yeah. Easy. Yeah. It was you know, look I'm looking at that now with you, and you know, at the end the Lord said, I will remove Judah out of my sight. As i have removed israel and i will cast off the city that i have chosen jerusalem the house of which i said my name shall be there what's the penalty right. to be cut off, cut from, off from the, the people, people from the land mm-hmm. well that's exactly what god said in exodus 12 of what is the penalty if you eat of the leavened bread if you mess with this feast if you do it you'll be cut off from the people so to answer your question about fellowship is at the core of this thing because mm-hmm. it means to be a part of god's people is you know god is setting up He's dem- almost demarcating his people. He's putting borders around them. The first being he's saving them, and the second being circumcision and the feasts, and soon to be the law and all that is coming up. That's going to keep distinguishing his people from the rest of the world. Well, that so at the core of it is community, and the penalty of this particular one is to be removed from that land. Yeah, that's pal. That speaks to okay, why does it make sense that God kicked them out of the land in the exile well hmm. they they failed to keep Passover they, yeah. they failed to remember who God was mm-hmm. I, I thought it was helpful as well how you uh, addressed
0: leaven and unleavened mm. bread brought clarity there um, yeah. what wh- why, why is that so significant and I do think you, you quoted from Philip Breichen and, and he talks about in his commentary on Exodus um, we tend to think of leaven in terms of yeast mm-hmm. and how do we get yeast well you have little yeast packets or a yeast jar so you might you know scoop out some yeast and throw it in right. but if they're dealing with leaven more like starter that's left over right. from an old batch and you you make bread but you keep a little bit of that to start because it's already fermented it's and dying. so you you yeah. keep that out you bake your bread but you leave some starter so you can mix it into your new batch and it's it's got that fermented leaven already um that picture of like they're about to leave egypt and god really means for them to leave it all yeah. so, so they're not taking any starter right. with them mm-hmm. out, of, out of egypt yeah any of that fermentation um and so just the way you connected that how in, throughout scripture leaven often represents sin and god is ultimately not concerned with the bread right, right. As, as he is with the heart. Mm-hmm. So Jesus and his disciples, they get into that when his disciples are all worried about like, oh no, he's t- he said, watch out for the leaven of the Pharisees. What does he mean? Is he talking about the bread? <laughs> <laughs> Jesus is like, no, no, it's not about the bread. <laughs> it's not about the bread, no. Yeah. <laughs> so it's not about the ingredients of the bread. It's about the heart and the sin and the particular sin of the Pharisees. Watch out for your own heart so you don't find that sin there. Yeah. It, it changes, you know, that that's still applicable to us. Yeah. Watching out for the leaven of the world that's so easily mixed into. Yeah.
1: Our and, lives, our thinking, our values. And the metaphor matters because it, it, I think to the Israelites, they would know, oh, you, everything you just described about bread making, you know, they knew how to do that. And just the effect that some small little bit of leaven could have on an entire substance, the effect it could have to cause it to rise and cause, they, when they started to make those connections, it, it, there, there was no possible way they could take any of Egypt with them. None of it's none of it, so God is excising that out because leaven has a way of working its way into all of the dough, right? Mm -hmm. Um, No part of the dough is unaffected, even by a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, they would make those connections Mm -hmm. that's
2: powerful. And to think it's the same with our sin Um, you know, when I sin, it's not just affecting that one circumstance or relationship or aspect of my life, but if it doesn't, if it goes unkept or undealt with. It's gonna spread into right. all the way. I think about all my other circumstances or relationships or whatever, and so um, the fact that God had told them that um, they were gonna make a clean break, or He desired for them to make a clean break, I think is significant about the way that we should, you know, view sin and mm. not deal with it lightly. Yeah,
0: yeah. You made this point too that um, in. Theological categories, we would talk about justification and sanctification. Mm -hmm. So there's there's this aspect of their deliverance being in event the exodus. God is going to bring them out of Egypt, and now they're rescued, they're delivered. But it doesn't end there. Right. God now is sanctifying them. So he he sets them apart, but then they are to live set apart lives that are wholly Mm -hmm. devoted to the Lord. so, so the same thing is true for us. Through Christ, we're saved. Our sins are forgiven. And now having been justified, having been forgiven all our sins, we are to live lives that are wholly devoted to the Lord. And so where any of that leaven of sin remains, God means to to purify us, to, to cleanse us from that. Um, so that, that's a big deal. That, that's just, I think, again, so many of these things in the Old Testament um, when you think, why did God work this way? Mm. Like, why didn't it just go, you know, Adam and Eve sinned, God sends his son Jesus to die for the world. Mm. Why, yes. why isn't Genesis chapter 4, right. the Savior comes and saves the world. Crushes the head of the it snake. Crushes the snake right there. <laughs> why, why do things play out so long over so much time? Why? why well, we talk so much about types and foreshadowing and, and, you know, the fulfillment, the Passover lamb is fulfilled in Christ. How how kind of God to give mm-hmm. us such vivid pictures that we can understand yeah. these are tangible things like i can relate to um you know bread and leaven because my wife makes sourdough bread and right. has this sourdough starter and it, these are things we can taste and we can smell and we, we can relate to mm-hmm. uh, a feast of remembering these things it's just like god is built into the story of redemption all these hooks for us to hang our understanding yeah. on so then here we are today like oh that's how it works yeah <laughs> that's why sin is a big deal just a little bit works throughout mm-hmm. all of my life and yeah. all of my community and my family and, yeah um, and, and God means to purify yeah. us from those things so th- these are it's just so so rich for us to be here in Exodus where so much of the foundation is laid for what Christ would come and do mm. thousands of years later
1: and the result is, is- you know, really the the most important part, I think, of this text of when God instituted this and handed it to Moses and Aaron, after Moses handed it to the elders and declares to the people, their response is one where they bow their heads and worship. And, and critically, this had not happened like their their worship happened back in verse chapter four, all the way back at chapter four, verse thirty one, where. Um, the Lord said to Aaron, Go into the wilderness to meet Moses. And, right. you know, they finally have their connection. Moses is being sent back. Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sights of the people. And the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their afflictions, they bowed their heads and worshiped. So they have not worshiped, you know, that has, last time that happened was, What is was that? Be- nine chapters ago, yeah, be- before they had to make bricks without straw, yeah, right. That was before. The first that was time. before the suffering had really kicked <laughs> intensified, in intensified, yeah. Which you know, but really tested their faith. Noticing that their response to this was mm-hmm. worship, and and critical in both cases, they believed, they worshipped, and they obeyed. It's this cohesive, you know, we can, might call that faith. It's this cohesive life of the obedience of faith, of receiving the word of God, trusting him and his word that he will say what he said he's going to do. Mm. Um, And then recognizing what he has said. He's going to save us. He, He is just in his execution here and we deserve wrath, but he has made a way. And so all of a sudden that fuels our worship, our response mm. to Him, all of life now is flavored by the fact that we are redeemed mm. people. This didn't make the didn't make the cut, but um, David Peterson or Eugene Peterson in um, engaging with God, there's right at the beginning in his uh, opening chapter, kind of a philosophy of it is, um, I think he said uh, over and over again, the Old Testament pattern to us is that worship is always done by a redeemed people, mm-hmm. um, and that's what's happening here the people are being redeemed and, and they're worshiping. And, yeah, and that's critical because it informs, the redemption comes first because it, the redemption, you notice God is setting, this, the He's setting the terms here. He's the one who's hmm. telling them exactly how they are to be saved. And then, you know, this is all setting up for the rest of the book of Exodus where He's going to tell them, here's how you can love me back. Here's how you can dwell with me. Here's how you can worship me ultimately. This whole thing has been about worship and that that you know i've been reading my bible reading plan recently and i think i told you this i'm reading in the niv this year um which is new for me for i don't know 10 years i've been in the esv primarily it's still my go-to for for bible study but you know i grew up on the niv so i'm reading it back to the niv and uh, going through this section it's just I was struck as I was reading it how much the word worship came up Mm -hmm. because the ESV translates that Hebrew word almost exclusively throughout this section as serve, Mm -hmm. that they might serve me, they might serve me. Um, But it also carries worship in the sense of almost how they worshiped is they served and how they served is when they worshiped. It's cohesive. Mm -hmm. Um, And when all of a sudden that imports all new language that we're used to Mm -hmm. uh, in and it informs me of like, that's why we you know, worship is more than music, but certainly no less. And that's why we sing the songs we sing. Mm. Um, that's why we're Scripture-governed people that love to sing about what Scripture highlights the most, which mm. is the life, death, resurrection of Jesus on our behalf. Um, what a great set of songs we got yeah. to sing this Sunday.
0: Yeah, yeah. Good stuff. Well, just in closing, um, application, mm. You know, our, our aim as a people, is to be doers of the word, not just hearers only. Um, how does this land on you guys in terms of new thoughts, affections, responses? Um, and I, I kind of started with this, but I, I think for me, the reminder to remember mm-hmm. is so so good and um, helpful and encouraging um it's an encouragement just in the the weekly rhythms mm. gathering on the lord's day knowing that's one of the things god means to do for us weekly that we would be reminded mm. um it, it's a, an encouragement to me to never move beyond the gospel of yes. christ's death for my sins to always live you know in close proximity to the cross mm. where christ's suffering his agony uh the wrath of god poured out on christ is at the forefront of my mind and not just old hat i think that's that's a danger i feel that to just kind of grow familiar Mm. with that story Mm -hmm. Um, but god means for us to not be so familiar with it that it is meaningless
1: to us but so familiar that it's functioning in us that's critical i mean that's probably what stands out the most to me is is having that functional functional centrality of the gospel but as i've thought and prayed on this text particularly in that point on how it relates to how i communicate to my kids Mm. um just, just that reality of if I want to practice remembering, don't waste the opportunities every day mm. to to declare and apply the gospel to my kids, but also to my own heart as I deal with them, and as I deal with my wife, and as I deal with my friends, and I deal with all people. You know, it's and don't neglect those opportunities that God has given us to the calls to remember the gospel. Mm. Um, Moses later is going to say in Deuteronomy six to and what what Aslan told jill to to say it talk about it you know re- recite them when you're falling asleep and when you wake up in the morning when you're walking on the way and what you know how moses says in deuteronomy 6 at all times is you you know always be discussing these things have it discussed in a way that it's shaping and forming and giving you know
2: getting stuff done in our lives that that's what probably struck me. That's good. Yeah, you had asked, I think it was early on in your sermon, Matt, um, a question that I, I wrote down word for word for word because, um, you know, it was thought provoking. And, um, you know, when we talk about the people of Israel as a nation, not obeying the Lord. And so that's why they find themselves in these cycles of grumbling and disobedience and coming back and grumbling and disobedience being saved. Um, so you'd ask the question, what would be the effect if I daily meditated upon the saving mercy of god Mm. um so thinking of uh you know this ongoing sanctification um what would be the effect well i'd be a more joyful person Mm. i'd be a more content person i'd be a more um uh self you know sacrificing person and so thinking of not only what would be the effect if i did that but what would be the effect if my entire discipleship huddle did that Mm. Uh, what would be the effect if my entire MC did that? Our entire church did that? Um, our city did that? Um, mm-hmm. The effect would be glorious. Yeah. Um, it'd be uh, a light shining on a hill. And mm-hmm. so um, that's what I was thinking about yesterday. That's, you know.
0: that's awesome. Great, great way to end too. Mm-hmm. Just, uh, yeah, I feel freshly encouraged to meditate on on the mercies of God. Um, on a daily basis and and take it as a sober warning that israel failed to do that yes mm-hmm. um and why probably just familiarity oh we know we know the story we know what happened we don't we don't need to go through all of that that's a lot of extra work for something we already know so god forbid that the glories of his grace in the gospel of jesus christ would ever be um familiar in that way but may they be familiar to us in a Yeah, life-transforming way. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Thank you, guys. Yes.